When I was at school, I was very easily distracted. I could only focus on what the teacher was saying uh, for a few minutes at a time, and then my mind would start to wander. I don't know whether you've seen the cartoon Peanuts with Charlie Brown and Snoopy, uh, but my teachers really did begin to sound like Charlie Brown's school teacher. Have you heard that? And I think a lot of people are like that with the Word of God. They hear the Word, but they don't really hear it. They don't absorb it. When we hear God's Word spoken, when we hear it preached, how much do we take in? How much do we think about it? How much do we respond to it? How much of what we hear has an impact on the way we live our lives? Does it change us? That's what we're going to be looking at today as we contemplate what kind of soil we might be. So we're looking at the parable of the sower, but why did Jesus speak in parables? Well, as you know, Jesus was often surrounded by huge crowds. And on this particular occasion, there were so many people that he had to sit in a boat uh, just off the shore and teach from there. Uh, But many of the people who flocked to Jesus weren't necessarily spiritually hungry. They were just there for the show. Healings, exorcisms, tense exchanges with the religious elite, bread and fish enough to feed thousands of people produced out of virtually nothing. It was all very exciting. But the thing is with parables is that they encourage serious reflection. You've got to think them through. They require perceptive faith. If you're too lazy or uninterested to do the thinking, you simply won't understand them, which I think is true of all of Scripture, but particularly with Jesus' parables. Jesus wasn't interested in spoon-feeding these huge crowds. Nobody learns that way. Jesus wasn't about to pander to the half-hearted listener. With parables, Jesus addressed those who genuinely wanted to understand his message, who uh, wanted to know God better. Hence, Jesus says, they may be seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. But they won't turn to God and be forgiven because they're really not interested in Jesus' message. For the most part, they're there for some other reason. So why this parable, the parable of the sower? Well, I guess the disciples were wondering why everyone hadn't responded positively to Jesus as they had. In the previous chapter, chapter 3, we see that some of Jesus' relatives, and it could have been his brothers or his cousins, we're not told who, but some of Jesus' relatives thought that Jesus was out of his mind. And the Pharisees accused him of, of, uh, of being possessed by a demon. That's hardly a great reception. So Jesus told the parable of the sower to explain why some responded to his message and entered the kingdom, and others didn't. But it's helpful to us because we're invited to reflect on who we are in this parable. Uh, it could be that you felt frustrated. Uh, you, you, you may have wondered why you, you don't feel that you're making progress in the Christian life. Well, Jesus gives us three reasons why people don't respond to the gospel and enter the kingdom. And Two of those, probably all three of those reasons, but certainly two of those reasons are the same reasons that Christians don't mature in their faith. 
So let's look at the parable uh, itself. Firstly, the basics. The seed is the gospel, the message of Christianity. The sower is the person who proclaims the message. In this case, uh, it's Jesus, but it could be a preacher or a teacher or someone sharing their faith with a friend. The soil represents four kinds of people. The hard-hearted, the shallow, the self-indulgent, and the spiritually hungry. So let's look at each one of those in turn. So firstly, the hard-hearted, represented by the path. Some of the seed fell along the path. Obviously, they didn't have bitumen or concrete. It would have been very hard-packed mud path, and the seed just lands and sits on top of this path. The birds see it, and they come and eat it straight away, so it's gone. And we know that the birds represent Satan. Some people are hardened against the gospel. It makes no difference who tells them the good news or how. It makes no difference whether it's presented reasonably and logically. It makes no difference how much evidence you give them. They simply will not accept it. Let me give you uh, a couple of case studies to give you an idea of, of what this can look like. So uh, the first one, the self-professed atheist. Uh, so not so long ago, a school friend of mine posted something on Facebook. It was a, an anti-God argument, a polemic by the uh, comedian Ricky Gervais. And uh, I responded with, with what I thought was a very kind of reasonable, uh, measured counter-argument. Uh, my friend didn't want to engage in that. Uh, he was quite dismissive. And that's fine, actually, because I didn't want to de- debate. I just wanted to offer another point of view. Uh, but then the next day, another old school friend of ours uh, got involved and he uh, posted a GIF. A GIF is like a one or two second video that plays over and over again. And it was a GIF of Hulk Hogan, the wrestler, holding out a microphone like this with a deadpan face and then he just drops it. And the message was very clear. I don't want to hear anything that you have to say. Not that I was speaking to him anyway, it was the other guy, but that was the message. The word goes out, but it falls on hard ground. Next case study, the churchgoer. Uh, My grandma, Gigi, uh, she used to live in the same village as my parents, and she'd go to church with them uh, pretty much every week. And in church, she was impeccably behaved. And then at home over lunch, she would always list everything that she'd heard in the service that she didn't agree with, which was basically everything. Uh, She was going to church and hearing the word, but rejecting it straight away. You know, a person can go to church their whole lives and not move a single step closer to Jesus. But in Gigi's case, her heart did seem to soften towards the end of her life. She died last year at the age of 96. And I remember the last conversation that Tissa and I had with her before we came out here. And she was actually really receptive to the gospel. So even a person who is hardened against the gospel, God can soften the soil of their hearts, can change the soil of their hearts. So there's always hope. But that's the the hard ground, the hard-hearted person. The next type of person that Jesus described is the shallow, the shallow person represented by the rocky ground. Some of the seed lands on this shallow soil uh, that is covering the rocks. It takes root, but it doesn't go down very deep. 
the roots can't reach the, the nutrients and the moisture deep in the soil. So when the sun comes out, the blazing sun, it just, this, this little plant just withers away. Or when there's a strong wind, it just blows away the topsoil and with it, this little plant. This is the person who says, I want Jesus. And then something difficult happens. They get sick. They lose a family member. They face financial problems. Maybe they get tempted. Maybe they find themselves in a position where uh, they need to choose between God and an adulterous relationship. And when this difficulty, when this temptation, when this hardship comes, their faith just withers. They don't have the roots to, to hold them in place. But surely as Christians, we know that we will face trouble, temptation, and difficulty. Martin Luther said they gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we expect a crown of roses? If a personal tragedy or a difficult situation makes us turn away from God, what are we saying? Are we saying, I don't mind that other Christians are suffering so long as I can skip through life without any problems? Are we saying, I can believe in a God that allows Christians to suffer, but I can't believe in a God that allows me to suffer? We can see how inconsistent that is, how shallow it is. And then there's persecution. Jesus said trouble and persecution. We're, we're, I think, fortunate. We will all face trouble. We will have difficulties in life. Uh, We will have situations that grieve us deeply uh, because that's life. Life is hard. But if we remain in this country, we're unlikely to face uh, anything bordering serious persecution. Uh, When ISIS were busy taking over Iraq and Syria, there were lots of reports about the vicious persecution of Christians. Uh, I'm sure you saw many of those reports. The one that I found most harrowing was about a father and his 14-year-old son, and the ISIS fighters were cutting off the fingers of the 14-year-old boy one by one and demanding that both father and son renounce Christ. It's unthinkable, but when neither of them would, they crucified them side by side, literally crucified them. How deep must their roots of faith have been. And when we get to the last type of soil, the good soil, we'll begin to discover what engenders that kind of steadfast faith. Because we need to make sure that we're not just fair-weather Christians. As a church, we need to build the kind of faith that will enable us to weather the storms of life. And certainly, if Christians are enduring that level of persecution, we ought to be able to cope with a bit of social awkwardness, the odd snide remark. It's hard to get upset about a gif of Hulk Hogan dropping a microphone when we know that in other parts of the world, Christians are being uh, mutilated and tortured and crucified. Next, we have the self-indulgent, and that's represented by the soil that's full of thorns. Some of the seed falls among the thorns and it grows up, but it just gets choked out. We've all got so many things in our lives and we desire the word of God but we desire lots of other things too and sometimes we find it hard to let go of those things to let go of them long enough to hear and absorb and live out the gospel 
Imagine our life of faith is that little plant. It's surrounded by thorns. The thorns are taking all the nutrients, so there's nothing left for the plant. And then the plant gets choked by the thorns. They crowd in. The plant can't get any of the sunlight. It can't move. It can't grow. Are we filling our life with so many things that we've actually got no time for God? If you've got the same level of belief and Christian faith and Christian maturity that you had five or ten years ago, if you've not budged, the chances are this is the reason. And we say, oh, but life is so busy. I've got so many priorities. You don't know how much I've got to fit into my week. I probably have got an idea, and we probably all have, because I don't think there's anyone here that doesn't have uh, quite a, a hectic life in some ways. You know, there's a, a lot to, to cram in, isn't there? The truth is, if you want to grow in the Christian life, if you want to grow in the Christian life, you have to reorder your priorities. We all do. What tears us away from praying, from reading the Bible, from coming to church each week? What are the things in our lives that are choking us out? As Christians, there's nothing more important than coming together, worshipping God, hearing his word, and acting upon it. Of course, there are good reasons why you might not come to church and hear the word of God. You might be sick, not, oh, I've got the sniffles, I can't possibly go to church. But you might be genuinely sick. You might be in hospital. You might be uh, facing some kind of family emergency. You might be on holiday. Uh, You might have very poorly kids. There are good reasons for not being at church. But those reasons don't include washing the car, walking the dog, catching up on work, shopping, working out, or simply saying, oh, let's just give it a miss this week. Let's identify the things that are choking us, the things that are getting in the way of a relationship with God and put them back in their proper place. Because if these things go unchecked, one or two things will happen. Either we'll make no progress in the Christian life, and that would be a travesty because we're meant to mature and grow and be transformed so that over time we become more like Jesus and we have a a greater impact on the world around us and on the people around us. Or, and this is even worse, we'll end up falling away from the faith altogether. And I think in the three and a half years that we've been here, you know, probably there are families that have fallen away from the church, who are not going to another church, who have kind of drifted away from following Jesus. And I think the, the most, the hardest thing about ministry is that happening. And even when you reach out, there's nothing you can do. Um, because people have to make their own choices, of course. Uh, but it's heartbreaking. And, and I think rightly so. And the final type of person included in this parable is the spiritually hungry. Some of the seed falls uh, into the rich, fertile soil. That's the person who is hungry for the word of God and eager to put it into practice. That's the person who hears the word of God, takes it on board and says, I've got to do that. I've got to make that change. I've got to respond to this. When's the last time you heard a sermon and said, I've got to do that. I've got to make this change. It's not just about hearing the word of God. It's about doing it. 
There's that point in Luke's gospel where Jesus' mother and brothers are trying to see Jesus, but there's a big crowd around him. They can't get near him. And someone says to Jesus, uh, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And Jesus replies, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Jesus is saying that those who belong to him are not just those who hear the word, but those who do it. We should be able to look back on our Christian journey and say, I heard this and I went and did this. I heard the word explained and this is how I responded. And if that's been your pattern of life, you will have experienced and you will continue to experience real and lasting change. Do you know a good habit to get into before we uh, read the Bible, before we hear a sermon, before we... uh, receive the word of God in whatever form, uh, is to say, Lord, how do you want me to change? What do you want me to take away from this? What do you want me to do differently? Because if we do that and attempt to make those changes, we will be the rich, fertile soil. And we might say, well, there's a time when I didn't hear it. I received, uh, I rejected the gospel. I refused to listen. Uh, We might say, well, there's a time when I I really struggled with all the stuff that I've been through. I I questioned God. I I doubted God. I fell away for a time. We might say, well, you know, I used to have my priorities wrong. There was so much that prevented me from moving forward in the Christian life. But now I get it. Now I understand. I I want Jesus. I want to know Jesus' love and forgiveness. I want Jesus to transform my life. I want to live my life in obedience to him. I want to change. We might have been another type of soil at some point in our lives, but if that's the way we're thinking now, uh, we'll be the rich, fertile soil that produces a good crop, a crop that goes on to produce 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. The crop, of course, being those who are brought into the kingdom, uh, those people who are that good soil or become that good soil. And you might say, I could never lead 30 people to faith, let alone 100. Well, the truth is, you probably could if you prayerfully and obediently and persistently embarked on that mission. But even if you only led one person to faith, or played a part in that process. And that one person led two people to faith. And each of them led one or two or three people to faith. It wouldn't be very long before that seed that is planted in you produces this massive crop, which will keep on growing and growing and growing. And don't worry if sometimes you get a negative reaction. Don't worry if someone sends you the Hulk Hogan mic drop gif. Because what this parable tells us is that it's the ground that determines the harvest, not the sower. Jesus was the greatest preacher and evangelist ever. And yet when he sowed that seed, when he proclaimed the gospel, the good news, some of that seed landed on the path. Some of it landed on the shallow soil. Some of it landed amongst the thorns. And some of it landed in the good soil. If that was Jesus' pattern of ministry, we can't expect ours to be very different. You could be the greatest orator, the most skillful wordsmith. You could be the warmest and most sincere person. You could be the kind of person that everyone wants to be around. 
Uh, you could be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. But if you proclaim the good news, if you sow the seed of the gospel and it lands on the path, that seed will not produce a harvest. That's not your fault. Likewise, you could be shy and introverted. I, I guess, you know, probably at least half of us uh, would be introverts. I consider myself to be an outgoing introvert. Uh, you could have a speech impediment. I used to have a speech impediment into my 20s. Or maybe you lose your train of thought. Do you ever do that? You're trying to explain something and you forget what you're trying to say. I do that all the time. You might be awkward. Your attempts to proclaim the gospel might be bumbling. I know that mine are at times. But if that seed falls on fertile ground, the impact could be huge. But only if that seed is getting sown in the first place. The most important thing for us today is to assess what kind of see uh, what kind of soil we are and what kind of soil we want to be and i hope that we all want to be that rich fertile soil the kind of soil that will enable god's word to grow in us and to grow in others we don't want to reject the word of god we don't want to be the the hard path the kind of person who allows the devil to snatch away the the good news with ease we don't want to be that We want to have a faith that's deep, that doesn't wither at the first sign of pressure or difficulty or temptation. We don't want to allow the world to choke us, to choke our faith. We want to order our priorities in such a way that we've got room to grow and to keep growing. We want to be the fertile soil. We want to hear the word of God and respond to it. It's got to be both. If we want to be that fertile soil, we've got to hear the word of God and we've got to respond to it. So let's make sure that we're receiving the word on Sundays and throughout the week. So we come together on a Sunday, we worship God, we hear the word, we're built up, we strengthen and encourage each other. We read the Bible and we pray. We try and find a little bit of time each day to do that. Even if it's just five minutes, we find some time to do that might be listening to uh, an audio Bible or the Bible in one year, the audio version in the car on the way to work. It might be uh, listening to uh, audio books, Christian books. There's books at the back of uh, church. We've started to grow uh, that library. But finding ways to feed ourselves on God's Word on Sundays and during the week and then allowing it to shape our lives. Working out, what is it that I need to do differently? What is it that I need to change? What is it in my life that I need to adjust to bring my life more in line with God's word and God's will for me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we recognize that... Um, that probably at some point in life we have all been uh, similar to one of those kinds of soil. We've allowed Satan to rob us of the good news uh, to, to the point where we end up downplaying it in our lives. Often we've, we've allowed difficulties and struggles and challenges and temptations to, to overcome us to the point where 
we're not feeding on your word, where we're not focusing on you, where we start to drift aimlessly away from you. We've all been guilty of allowing other things to choke us, to put priorities above you, to, 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 do, to, to focus on all the things that are not as important as our relationship with you. But Father, we do want to be this rich, fertile soil. We do want to produce a great harvest. And so we pray that you'll fill us with passion, you'll inspire us, and you'll give us the, uh, a heart that wants to serve you. You give us a desire to, to respond to your word positively. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.